We need to modernize for the Army, and we need to do it as fast as possible. How do you take new advanced technologies? How do you bring them into operational platforms and get them into the force as quickly as possible? And that's where the Formula One example comes in. So what does Formula One do? Formula One has to build an operational platform that can go out and perform in an exceptional way to win a race. And so how do they do that? Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Leading Great Teams, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Hello, this is Colonel Retired Dan Roper, AUSA's Director of National Security Studies, and welcome to today's episode of Army Matters. When most people think of Formula One racing, they think of fast cars, stadiums of cheering fans, multi-million dollar sponsorships, and exotic locales around the world. But when today's guest sees Formula One, he sees the opportunity for organizations to take its lessons and digitally modernize themselves. John Whitley has held a number of roles in government, academia, and business over his career, and in 2021 served as the Acting Secretary of the Army after being the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Financial Management, which basically means he was the Chief Financial Officer and oversaw a budget of about $170 billion. He's currently a researcher and advisor with the Institute of Defense Analysis and other organizations. Mr. Whitley will talk to us about how organizations, namely the U.S. military, must use technology to compete with countries such as Russia and China, discuss the pressures of overseeing the budget for the overall military, and yes, talk to us about race car driving. Secretary Whitley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dan. It's great to be here. Now, you've been able to accomplish quite a bit in your career, but I noticed from your biography that your first degree of many is in animal science followed with agricultural economics. What first attracted you to the pursuit of these endeavors And how did that eventually take you into the Army and the world of military accounting and finances? Well, Dan, you're going back a long ways now. I actually started in the Army. Uh, I got out of the Army. I had these GI Bill benefits. And the thought was you should use them. So, okay, I'll go to college. I didn't know much about it at the time. I had grown up on a farm. So uh, agriculture, animal science uh, seemed like a natural step. My very first class in college, Virginia Tech, was agricultural economics, a a core requirement for the animal science major. And I I think you could basically say it was love at first sight. I fell in love that day. I eventually added the agricultural economics major uh, as a dual major. And then ultimately, I went to graduate school in normal uh, economics uh, and earned my uh, uh, graduate degree from the University of Chicago. So I'm an economist by training. It all started. Uh, at the very beginning of an animal science program with agricultural economics. What was the most valuable lesson you learned in those early endeavors that you still apply today? Oh, there's a, there's a lot of lessons. So I, I don't know that I can boil it down to one. You know, I started out, as I said, in the Army. And I think the Army, for a young uh, enlisted soldier, is just such a tremendous uh, experience. So the idea of being focused, of hard work, being committed to a mission was hugely beneficial and and influential on me in my early days. So I think the values and the discipline that the military impart 
uh, on a, a young adult uh, can help in in many endeavors, whether it be college serving in academia, the serving in the Department of Defense. Now, fast forward a few years later, and you found yourself in the most senior positions in the Defense Department and as the acting Secretary of the Army. And in your capacity, you helped oversee a budget in the Department of Defense of over $700 billion. What was the most difficult challenge for you in either one of these jobs? When you're the Secretary of the Army and you're thinking about the 1.2 million uh, men and women, active duty military, Guard and Reserve military, Department of the Army civilians, you're thinking about those people that are devoting you know, their careers, their lives to the service of our country and, and to our Army. It's first thing you say is it, it's incredibly humbling. And, and then you have to think through, I'm representing them, I'm leading them, and I have to figure out how to, to lead them in a way that gives us, that gives our nation the, the most national security you can get for the available resources and respects and honors the service of all of those people. It's a tremendous, humbling experience. It's an honor. Thanks for sharing that insight with us. Most of our listeners obviously have not had the privilege of having such the, the broad remit that you had in, in that second job. Now, you've spent years analyzing the military's technological needs, and you recently published a paper recommending the Pentagon take a page from Formula One and embrace digital transformation. I read it and I enjoyed it. For some, this might seem like two completely different entities we're talking about. So can you help us understand how you connect these widely different ideas and where you see the potential in doing so? Yep. So Formula One is really just used as an example. So I don't want to overstate it, but it's useful to put it all into perspective. We've spent the last two decades focused primarily on the terrorist threat. And and our our men and women in uniform, our soldiers have, have done tremendous things. And we have not had a major terrorist attack since 9-11 on U.S. soil. As you said in the introduction, we have other adversaries or potential adversaries uh, around the globe, and they did not sit idle. They watched us. They saw what we were good at. They saw where our challenges were. They invested heavily. And uh, most significant there are, are these very advanced countries, near-peer competitors, China and Russia, uh, who spent uh, a lot of that time studying how to gain overmatch against us. We've seen uh, Russia in the Crimea and Georgia, and now with the full invasion of Ukraine, and we've seen China with the crackdown in Hong Kong and its increasing belligerence against Hong Kong and its neighbors in the South China Sea. So we're pivoting. We are now refocusing on this near-peer adversary. And you think about China and you think about the anti-access area denial capabilities that they've built, and we're going to be operating in an entirely different environment if we have to go to war with them. All of this was a long preface to get to what we're talking about here is modernization. And what we're talking about is bringing advanced technologies, new technologies into the force, whether that be hypersonic missiles, whether that be directed energy systems, uh, and the ability to, to go significantly farther, significantly faster with our helicopter fleet. Our last big modernization wave was the 1980s when we brought in the signature platforms that we have today, you know, the Blackhawk, the, the Abrams, et cetera. So we need to modernize for the Army, and we need to do it as fast as possible. How do you take new advanced technologies? How do you bring them into operational platforms and get them into the force as quickly as possible? And that's where the Formula One example comes in. So 
what does Formula One do? Formula One has to build an operational platform that can go out and perform in an exceptional way to win a race. And so how do they do that? They start by building the car in the digital space. So they build what we'll call a digital twin. They build a digital representation of the car. That's going to allow them to think through design iterations, to think through how to, you know, different configurations uh, much quicker than if you think about a traditional process where I, I'll draw something out. That'll be computer-based, yes. I'll do some simulation, yes. But really, I'm drawing it out, and then I'm going to build a model, then I'm going to test it, I'm going to learn, then I'm going to go back, revise it, think about the time it takes to do that manufacturing, to do that testing. I'm going to try to move as much of that as I can into the digital space, do it digitally where I can do iterations uh, in minutes as opposed to months or even years in the physical world. I'm going to try to uh, adjust requirements and make trade-offs in different capabilities to maximize performance. And then once I get the design that I need and I want, then I'm going to have this digital representation going all the way over into the manufacturing space where I can take advantage now of advanced manufacturing processes, additive manufacturing, 3D printing, robotic manufacturing, and other types of things. So we're trying to take as much as we can out of the physical space of the production, the, the life cycle timeline of developing and fielding a capability, move it into the digital space, make it as fast as possible, bringing out the uncertainty so that I can field new technologies to the warfighter in significantly less time that it's taken in the past through traditional analog processes. Thank you. We're going to take a break here, but we'll be back for more with Secretary John Whitley in just a moment. Join AUSA, the Army's premier professional association and host of the largest land power exposition in the United States. AUSA is open to everyone, including all ranks and components. So whether you have a relationship with the U.S. Army or simply want to honor those who serve, you can learn more at ausa.org slash join. Welcome back to Army Matters. We're here with John Whitley, who's an expert analyst and practitioner on how to modernize the U.S. military and the U.S. Army. Could you tell us if there are any organizations other than Formula One that are doing digital twinning, as you just described? Formula One's the poster child, but this is really taking hold. So in the commercial sector, this is moving along very rapidly. Uh, it's called by many the fourth industrial revolution. What I'll use are examples within DOD and within our army uh, in terms of how we're trying to bring this in and how we're using it. I'll start on the manufacturing side. So let me talk about uh, what Sikorsky is doing first with CH-53K. We're building a new helicopter. It's technologically advanced. There are 11,800 fasteners that need to be torqued, that need to be tightened to certain specifications. The traditional way we do that is you have a manual, might be a digital manual, might be a paper manual, and it lists every one of these parts and lists the torque specifications. So the technician gets the wrench, tightens it, looks up the specification, tightens it to the specification. What Sikorsky's done is they've digitized this. They've created digital work instructions, and they've got a digital torque wrench. And that digital work instructions are now in a computer. All 11,800 fasteners that need to be torqued are identified, and the torque specifications are in the digital space. I attach the digital torque wrench, automatically torques that part, that fastener, to the correct 
tightness. We're talking about reducing significant amount of time, obviously. We're also talking about safety. We now have a digital audit trail of every fastener and how it was tightened. A specific example is a rotor head. This was traditionally a three-person process uh, by using this digital torque wrench with the digital work instructions. So of course, he's been able to get that down uh, to one person. That's a, an example of how we've made manufacturing uh, safer and cheaper and faster. Now let's talk about design. GH-53K, very large, heavy lift helicopter. There were some design challenges. There was this gas re-ingestion. There was this re-ingestion of exhaust gas. So the traditional way would, uh, you test your models, you put sensors around, and you, you'd work through mechanically how you're going to solve this problem. What was done here was a digital model was produced. It was simulated, and they were able to develop design options to solve this problem in the digital space, wring out much of the uncertainty, and then eventually go to the physical space and really solve that problem in a much faster way. Are there any intellectual property issues with doing digital twinning, exchanging that level of detail of information? This is an area where I think the Army is ahead, and the Army really updated its intellectual property guidance back in 2018. In the Army's new guidance, there's really a set of principles here, which is the Army starts talking with its contractors, with its partners early in the process. Traditionally, IP would be something we talk about late in the process when a lot of decisions had already been made. What should the Army be asking for? The Army doesn't need to ask for everything, but it does need to ask for what it needs to do. It's part of the job. And then let's get those negotiations going through the process so that the contractor, the company can respond and, and can plan for and deal with uh, which uh, intellectual property rights will be with the government and which will be with the contractor. It sounds like it's got a heck of a lot of potential. If DOD went all in on your strategy or what you're suggesting, what would it look like? So first off, we're making progress, but what does it eventually look like? What does it mean to the operator on the ground? It means you've got a more capable system. And it means once we've gotten that technology, we did digital in the design phase. We had this unbroken digital thread moving into production. Now, when we have these platforms in the field, we have digital representations of them. So you could even say, we're going to have platforms in the field that have, like that Formula One race car, that have the digital representation back in the rear. And so we're optimizing performance. We're optimizing the survivability of that platform in real time as we make adjustments based on what's happening on the battlefield. And we're keeping those platforms up and available and ready uh, because we have the parts that we're digitally printing the parts on the battlefield, feeding them right into the system as the parts are needed. That's just one example. But we're keeping readiness up at lower cost as well. So I think the long term, you're going to see fundamental enhancements to what we see in operational platforms as they're deployed in the field and how we're able to optimize their performance, optimize their survivability, uh, and keep our soldiers safe and mission effective. That's definitely an exciting prospect for the men and women in the field or for their commanders and bosses that are, are guiding them to do what they do. Please let our listeners know, if they want to learn more about this, where would you suggest that they start digging in? First, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be Army, and I think the Army should be very proud of where it's at 
and what it's accomplished uh, in this space. The Army is a leader. Number two, those of our listeners who are part of this and are working in this, uh, keep it up. Let's not let the momentum die. We were one of the first out of the gates. We've got uh, a good headwind, a good tailwind pushing us along, and we need to keep it up, and we need to keep going. The third, where to go? So first, a little bureaucratic, but I would start with the Army's guidance. We talked about the intellectual property guidance uh, a little bit ago. I'd also mention uh, the advanced manufacturing guidance uh, that the Army has. It really wrestles with the issues and talks about how to move them forward. Obviously, there's a lot out in the, the public literature. Uh, you mentioned the, the physical, the digital, the physical loop. Uh, that comes from Deloitte. Uh, there's a lot of great companies doing a lot of great writing on this. If they're looking for information on the digital transformation and the fourth industrial revolution, there won't be a, uh, a shortage of, of material out there to dig into. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Secretary John Whitley, thanks for joining us to talk about your ideas on modernizing the U.S. military and the U.S. Army, and for continuing to push our military forward in every role in which you've served. Thank you, Dan. It was great to be here. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army. The U.S. Army's Professional Association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army day. Hua.